morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with the digital connect card. Just fill it out. Tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today. Also, if you don't get my weekly email, I send an email out every Friday about what's happening in The Well. If you don't get that, just go to our website, wellchurch.org, and if you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see a huge subscribe icon, and it'll say subscribe to Pastor Ryan's weekly email, and just put in, I think it's your first and last name and your email address, and that will uh, subscribe you to our email every Friday, and you can stay up with the latest. So thanks for being with us today. Today, uh, we're talking about uh, what we've learned during the COVID lockdown that would help us when the lockdown ends, whenever that is. We kind of see that maybe we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel here. No one knows for sure exactly when the lockdown will really be over. But this series is called Reset, Life After the COVID Lockdown. And we're exploring what we've learned during the lockdown about life that could make our lives better when the lockdown ends. And to give us some structure, what we're doing is studying what are called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 because I'd be willing to bet that whatever it is you've learned during the COVID lockdown could probably be categorized in one of the nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. We've, we've discussed love and joy and peace, and today we're talking about patience and kindness. I would imagine that during the COVID lockdown, these were two areas of your life where you were probably challenged the most. I know I was. Patience and kindness. Were there things that you learned about patience during the COVID lockdown? I mean, my goodness, just wanting to be around people and maybe you felt, man, I just want this to end and I wish that, that we could just, you know, get everybody vaccinated or whatever, you know, and, and, and you know, return to some sense of normalcy if there, if there ever will be a normal. And was your patience tested? Was your patience tested by people who express views that are different than yours, and not only that, but they, they say things that are disturbing to you and, and that you find that are causing so many problems in America, and it's, it tests your patience. How about your kindness? Have you had your, your kindness tested? What have you learned about kindness during the COVID lockdown in a society that is becoming even more divided than it already was? My goodness, what have we learned about patience and kindness during the COVID lockdown that could help us when the lockdown ends. And that's what we're talking about today. And we're welcoming a guest speaker today, Aaron Stritzel. Many of you know Aaron. And uh, he uh, spoke just a few weeks ago uh, here at The Well. And today, Aaron is going to be talking about patience and kindness. And then after his message, I'm going to come back and give the announcements. I'm going to be talking about uh, a survey uh, I'm sending out this coming Friday in my weekly email about the return to in-person worship. I want to get your views about when we can return to indoor, in-person worship uh, at the well, and uh, some other exciting things that are coming up in our church. So thanks for being with us today. And now let's, let's watch together Aaron Stritzel talking about reset, patience, and kindness. Well, hello, my name is Aaron Stritzel. It's great to be back with you again. Um, I had the privilege of being with you a few weeks ago, and um, I guess I did good enough to get a second invite. So thanks, Pastor Ryan, for the invitation to come and share again. Uh, Today, we continue a sermon series titled um, Life After COVID Lockdown, as we kind of reflect back on the last year, year and a half, um, what we went through, what we navigated. Kind of a funny story as a way of introduction uh, uh, today is that last week we had this little gathering in our backyard, um, kind of a small group from church. Uh, 
we had been meeting predominantly via Zoom uh, or online like most people. And uh, some of them we hadn't seen for, for months, in person that is. And what I didn't realize is that some of them hadn't met each other. So there was this kind of funny banter where they would introduce themselves. Hey, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you in person. And it kind of threw me off because I was like, oh, we've had all kinds of conversations over the past months and you haven't even met each other in person yet. And that's just one funny story of just the irony and the weirdness of this last year. I'm sure we each have these kind of interesting stories that we're gonna tell our kids or our grandkids or whatever it is about what it was like during COVID lockdown. <clears throat> of course, we're in some ways still, we're navigating the global pandemic. We think we're coming to the end of it. Um, <clears throat> numbers and deaths are decre declining and decreasing. So we're optimistically looking forward to what that might look like afterwards. But before we just jump into the next thing, I think it is helpful to stop, pause, and look back on what, what did we go through and what did we learn through the process. And really we're navigating this through what we call the fruits of the spirit. There are nine different characteristics. And most of our struggles, most of the things that you and I struggled with over this past year can almost be funneled through one of the nine characteristics. Drawing from the book of Galatians, 5 verses 22 through 23 which says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness generosity faithfulness gentleness and self-control so we've been walking through each of these characteristics today i wanted to talk about patience and kindness now the new testament <clears throat> what is really the christian scriptures was written in greek and so the greek words that have been translated into uh, patience and kindness. What were those Greek words? What might they mean to us today? Well, the Greek word for patience is this, makrothomia. Makrothomia simply means this, long-suffering. In other words, I wait before I act, or I pause so I don't react quickly. I pause and then act out. And that's the core, um, kind of grasp what really patience is all about. Not somebody who's quick to respond out of anger or fear or insecurity or hurt, but pauses for a moment. Really creates some space to reflect. The Greek word for kindness, kreistotes, kreistotes, which simply means good, upright, or gentle. So long-suffering or patience and gentleness or kindness, in fact, they go hand in hand, right? If somebody is going to be patient, long-suffering, they're going to be gentle or kind as well, right? The, these are very much intertwined. They go hand in hand. <clears throat> What's interesting is most people who know me would probably think I'm a person, that fairly, a fairly patient and kind person. I think myself that way. But this last year has proven to test that patience, that kindness, which is why I chose these two words, why I said I want to go, I want to talk about patience and kindness because I think those were two of the biggest struggles that I've had over this last year. <coughs> so let's just reflect on what happened this last year. Um, during the COVID lockdown, we also had some ma massive racial tensions that our, our country experienced and that were really in many ways brought to the surface, that brought to the, our national consciousness in ways that they haven't been before. They've always existed, but they're kind of really spotlighted on. February 23rd, a 25-year-old black man named Ahmad Arbery was jogging, jogging, and chased down by three white residents and shot. 
On March 13th, the 26-year-old African-American woman, Brianna Taylor, caught, caught in the crossfires um, with her uh, boyfriend and the police and killed. On May 25th, perhaps the most um, um, disturbing images that have sort of been seared into our consciousness of a man named George Floyd, who was pinned down by a police officer who was kneeling on his neck for nine and a half minutes and later died. Now, most of us probably heard <clears throat> the police officer was convicted this past Tuesday of murder and manslaughter, which is a great step forward in justice. But justice goes farther than that and says, okay, there's, there's bigger issues going on. How do we prevent these things from happening? It seems like a good thing. And, and th these are just a few examples. There's so many more. I don't mean to be offend people by not bringing in all of the issues, but there's so many more issues like this. And it seems right to be concerned about all people, about justice. And actually, when we sit back, we look at the scriptures. Justice is one of, if not the core issue that God is concerned about. For example, the psalmist writes in Psalms 82.3, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 1.17, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and please the widow's cause. In Micah 6.8, one of my favorite passages, God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Isn't it interesting here in that last passage in Micah that justice and kindness are both core characteristics along with humility. That to do what is just, what is fair for all people and walk in gentleness are both attributes, core attributes of what it means to follow God. Justice is a huge issue. In fact, liberation theologians remind us, uh, they have this phrase that says, God has a preferential option for the poor which simply means this, that God wants all of creation to flourish. And when some are not flourishing, God's ear, God's heart is especially attentive to them. How did they find liberation, salvation, freedom? So the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. In our nation, that has predominantly been people of color. And yet, as we saw this and it brought forth Black Lives Matter, back to the forefront in, in some pretty major ways, we saw a whole reaction against people, right? That all lives matter, right? And it felt like a slap in the face in many ways because what people were trying to say, at least my understanding of it, that black lives matter is we live in a country where we claim equality and yet that's not how it actually plays out. Will you stop? Will you pause? Will you be patient enough, long enough before you just react and say all lives matter to stop and to listen. My wife and I, we attended a Black Lives Matter gathering here in our small town. There's uh, a few hundred people, maybe about 200. And we, it was a, a moment of grieving, lighting candles, kind of a vigil ceremony, and also just bringing awareness. Well, there was a young man who, uh, ironically enough, both my wife and I knew from childhood, who was walking past. And as he walked past, he started to yell out, all lives matter, all lives matter, like just, uh, like just obscenely loud, obnoxiously loud. And, and of course it caused this disruption and people confronted him and then he pushed, they pushed, and the police were quick to respond. They were on call waiting uh, for something, just in case. And 
and, and it was just one of those moments of like, ah, we feel a need to just spout out our views without sitting long enough and asking, what do they mean by this? What is their experience? Why are people saying this? Which would have been a proper and is a proper response, especially for those of us who are white and have privilege and maybe don't have the same experiences as people of color in our nation. Our, our response should be, huh, tell me more. Let me understand this more. How do you experience this more? As if this wasn't enough. Of course, we had the, glo the global pandemic, which was sweeping across nations towards our country. And, and, I, and unfortunately, our government didn't handle it well, just being frank. And I don't want to like bring up a bunch of stuff. I, I think a lot of us are like, we're done with that. We have a new president. We're journeying forward. But this is a moment to stop and just reflect and say, oh, this is all the things that we went through. January 22nd, our president said, we have it totally under control. If it's one, it's one person coming from China, it's going to be just fine. Now we reflect back a year later, at the time that I'm filming this, we have over 568,000 deaths in our nation. 568,000 people died from the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know about you, but these things stacked upon each other caused a lot of frustration in my life. Social media, <clears throat> where people were able to spread all kinds of false information and all kinds of information that all it really did was create more division of people yelling at each other and disagreeing. Durango, uh, where I live, Durango, Colorado, we closed down most of our restaurants, all of our restaurants, two different times. Once about a year ago, um, end of March into April, and then once in late fall, uh, as our numbers rose a lot at the end of October. And the second time we closed, we had a restaurant here locally that refused to close. Now, part of me empathizes and says, yeah, restaurant owners were hit harder than most. I get that. It's extremely hard. And yet it caused all kinds of controversy because here we are in the midst of a global pandemic where thousands of people are dying and we know why. And so we're trying to protect that. And I get that it's causing hardship for people, but we refuse to close down and even enact mask mandates, which of course cause all this controversy. You have two sides and you have people showing up without masks. They say, I want to support you. Don't let them take your rights away. We're a nation of freedom and liberty. And you see this unfolding in your small little town, right? It's not the only restaurant that creates, created some controversy. There was a small little movement of some of the restaurant owners and business owners, not the majority, but a few of them, who got together and paraded down Main Street chanting, business lives matter. Again, it doesn't feel like we're quick to listen. It doesn't feel like we're long suffering. It feels like we're very reactive, especially when it affects me, my business, my rights, whatever it is that's affecting me. I work on the weekend at a chocolate cafe, which sounds, um, it's, it's, it's as cool as it sounds. We make our own chocolate in-house. Uh, we make our own chocolate bars, our own 24 different truffles. Uh, we make chocolate, um, drinking chocolates. We combine drinking chocolate with espresso. Uh, we do beer wine cocktail pairings um, so yeah you should come up to durango and i'll uh, make a special drink for you um, it's a fun little place but during this whole lockdown and the pandemic 
I had on a regular basis people come into our store for whatever reason they felt the freedom to throw up all of their garbage onto me to let me know their thoughts about everything. Maybe because I'm getting paid as an employee and I'm not really supposed to engage in political debates. I don't know. But I, I remember ha this happening on a regular basis. One in particular, there's this gentleman who's probably in his 60s, early 60s, maybe mid 60s. And he, he was like, I don't understand why people are all scared. Like why are, especially young people, they're living in fear and all this stuff and it's not really a big deal. And, and I just sitting back thinking like, we have two different realities. Like you see the world so differently than me. And we talked a little bit, but it frustrated me that people could, even after we saw the death rate rise, that people were still trying to say it's a hoax, it's bogus, it's blown out of proportion, it doesn't matter, masks don't help. I remember sitting down <clears throat> over the summer with my family who see the world very differently than I do. And I'd like to say I had a lot of patience and gentleness, but I had little. Um, I started a little bit having some of that patience, but I lost my temper multiple different occasions. I left that gathering thinking, I, I can't understand how my family can think this is a hoax. Think masks don't matter. Think all these things. And, and it was so, so incredibly frustrating. I work at a church and we had people literally who left our church because they would quote the Bible and say, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints in worship. And we closed. Like you, we did online worship for a while. And they left our church because they could not show up and worship without mass. Oh, what did I learn from all this? Well. I learned a lot of humility. I learned that I am, I think that I have patience and kindness, but when in the midst of all of the stress, I don't. I don't have as much as I thought. Now, at first I was hard on myself, like, man, you, you see yourself this way, but you're really not. But then it dawned on me that we grow only when we're stretched. That actually patience and gentleness and these other attributes, they can be built like a muscle, built up. Yeah, some people naturally are just hardwired to have more patience just by their genetics, by their personality. But like a muscle, they can be built. They can grow, but by building a muscle, it stretches, it strains the muscle in order to build it back up. So as you reflect back on this past year, give yourself a lot of grace. Uh, admit the times that you screwed up. Be like, I lost my temper. I did this. You look back and you were under a lot of stress. There was a lot of things going on and that's okay. But what did we learn? And I, as I look back, what did I do to help me navigate this? I wish, I wish I could say I set up all of these things in motion that really helped me get smoothly through this. But again, we look back and it was, a, it was a storm, right? It was a storm and we were trying to navigate the best we could. So what are some things I found helpful along the way? One of them uh, is this um, practice called centering prayer. It's a Christian form of meditation. You pick a word, it could be Yahweh or peace or letting go or whatever that word is, and you meditate and you sit and you center yourselves. And when you find that your mind drifts off, you just bring your awareness back to the word and you allow that word to help center who you are. You let go of your thoughts. It's really a practice of letting go and becoming more centered. I was doing that regularly every mo most mornings. But what I found was it didn't feel like enough, so I started engaging in it in the afternoons. I said, I need to center myself more than once a day. I need to find this space. Another thing I did 
is I spent a lot of time in nature. Nature's always been one of those things that I've been drawn to, the serenity and the peace there, something about nature. And so my wife and I would go two, sometimes three times a day, we'd go on walks. Um, we go on hikes when we can with our kids and dogs. We get out in nature as much as we could, when we could. Nature is healing. There's something about connecting with nature and, and the presence there that reminds us of the sacredness, but also the peace that God brings. Also the long suffering that God has and the gentleness that God has with all of us, that nature isn't in a hurry. Nature has a lot of patience, hardwired into it from its creator. The third thing I did is I, I reached out and I found a therapist. I've, I've gone to therapy before, <clears throat> but I was dealing with a lot of personal work issues myself and that compacted, again, the racial tensions, the, the, uh, the um, COVID, the way that, um, our president was handling it. And then we had the whole political election season. All of these things were compounding on, I needed a way, a space, someone to listen to me, to create a sacred space and to help me process all of this in healthy ways. Um, the fourth thing I did is I took a break from social media. Creating boundaries in your life is a good thing. We need them from time to time. I, I found that social media was a major trigger for me. And there's some things in my life that I had no control of. I had to show up for work. I had to serve people chocolate drinks, even as they were, you know, expressing their own opinions, which differed from me and, you know, smile and say, oh, that's interesting. You know, I trying to find a way to disagree in a nice, polite way is interesting and it takes some finessing. But I could decide I'm not going to go on Facebook. I'm not going to check Instagram. I'm not going to go on these things because what I find is a lot of unhelpful, unhealthy reactions that's not going to help me become more patient or gentle. It's actually going to do the opposite. So I took time away. There was a season two where I took time away from watching the news or I just checked it in the morning. That's it. I just looked at, got an update. Okay. Because I found myself looking at news like multiple times throughout the day. And I think that's true of all of our boundaries are good and healthy. Maybe sometimes we do need boundaries from our own family and saying, no, they cause me, they trigger me. There's a lot of, of anxiety produced around that. Now, don't go up to your family and say, you know what? <clears throat> you make me feel like angry all the time and full of anxiety. So I'm not going to be around you. Don't, don't do that. Probably not the best uh, thing to do. But internally, you can let yourself know like, oh, these family or relationships are not helpful for me right now. How can I distance myself a little bit? Because it's not helpful for me to constantly be in a, a, a state of anxiety or stress or whatever. If I want to find a sense of centeredness and patience and, and gentleness, I can't always be around those things. So boundaries can be extremely helpful. If you need help staying away from social media, just go ahead and watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma, and uh, you're welcome. Um, or, I'm sorry, it's, it will ruin you. Um, <clears throat> well, growth doesn't happen unless we navigate struggle, unless we go through seasons of suffering, like the last season we've all been through. Suffering or hardship also doesn't guarantee growth. We probably all know people who have gone through some major hardships but are yet bitter and angry. They don't seem patient or gentle. So it's not just the fact that we go through these seasons, but how we go through them that matters. And what we're trying to do here, what we don't often talk about, 
is reflecting back on those seasons to allow that reflection time to deepen the work in our lives, to deepen our patience. See, one of the things we know is that we don't navigate crisis, we don't um, navigate it fully while we're going through crisis. We bury certain things just out of survival. But what happens is later on, if we don't process those things, they're going to bubble up in unconscious ways. So that's part of what we're doing here is how do, we health, how do we process these things in healthy ways? Look back, see what we did right, acknowledge what we did wrong, and, and allow this season to help us grow. One of the greatest things, that, um, the core things that I learned through all of this, as I reflect back on the things I did wrong or not as well and the things I I did well or stumbled into, started growing in to do well, is this core understanding of surrender. Surrender. I think this is also the core of any healthy spirituality. It's the core aspect of our faith. Who Jesus, who didn't consider himself to be equal with God, let go of, in many ways, his divinity to be human. He surrendered who he was in order to be human. He let go. In a great book called Soulful Spirituality, Dr. David Brenner writes the following. He says this, The pathway to the transformation of not only our egocentricity but our very self is the path of surrender. Surrender. Letting go. We, we want to feel like we're in control. I mean, I think that was the, the, the core reason that our president responded this way is, don't live in fear. We got this. It's under our control instead of just admitting that's an illusion. And that's hard for us in America because we live more easily than most with the illusion that we have control over our lives. And we don't. Ask any parent who's far wiser than me who's gone through their kids becoming adults. What do you have to do when they become adults? You have to let go. And if you try to control, it's going to make things worse. You have to let them be. You can offer some advice here and there. You can offer some helpful things, but you have to let go. Now, here's the thing. Surrender. What I don't mean by surrender is that we disengage, that we step away, that we say, you know what? Screw the rest of the world. You guys are all crazy. I'm going to just go and withdraw and live in my little you know, hut somewhere else and not engage. That's actually anti-Jesus. Jesus, who came into the world, the humanity, the messiness, and said, I'm going to engage in this world. And at the same time, say, I'm going to speak things. Some people will hear it. Let him who has ears, let, let them hear. Let, let the person who can see, let them see. Right? Jesus speaking this truth, doing what he can do, and then saying some people just aren't going to follow. And as much as I want to control, and I wanted to control, and I wanted to tell my family or friends or others, like, this is real. This is a real issue. How you're acting is not helpful. Don't you see this? Don't you see the world this way? I can't control people. I can do some things that will be helpful. I can formulate an understanding. I can formulate arguments. I can help people who are trying to find ways to be better. I could be a part of that. But ultimately, I can't control how people respond. And that's a hard truth, isn't it? I wish we could. <laughs> I do. I wish we could, but I'm not sure it would ultimately be helpful.
It would ultimately be a little scary if that were the case. This idea of serenity is closely linked to patience. Serenity. I talked about serenity in nature a little bit too. The German word, by the way, for serenity is Glassenheit. I should know how to say that because I am German, but I've never taken a German class. So Glassenheit, which can also be translated the condition of having let go. That in order for somebody to be a person of serenity, of long-suffering, of gentleness, they have to learn to let go. Isn't this what we really see in the wisdom of those who have a lot of life experience? They have so much space and they, they have an ability to let things go. Say, I can't control everything and everyone, and that's okay. There's this great prayer. I'm sure you've heard of it called the Serenity Prayer. It seems fitting to close our time with this prayer. Would you join me as we pray? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, but also the courage to change the things that I can. And give me the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.